Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs eleven fourteen. I am Rob West. Those are wise words in any situation, but particularly when it comes to your finances. Are you seeking the safety of a wise financial counselor? I'll talk about that today with Rachel McDonough, and then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance Live, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Well, it's always great to have our friend Rachel McDonough on the program. She's a certified financial planner and a certified kingdom advisor, and she's seen firsthand the benefits of getting outside advice on managing money. Rachel, great to have you with us today. Thanks, Rob. Happy to be here and have some outside counsel myself, even as a financial advisor. So this is a great topic. Well, you know, it's something we encourage advisors here at Kingdom Advisors to do. And I know you've taken that counsel and applied that in your own life and might be surprising to some folks to hear that financial advisors actually have financial advisors, but it's important for everyone. So let's start there. Why is it especially important for Christians to seek wise counsel uh, about their finances? And by that, uh, I mean someone whose values align with their own. Yeah, you know, any financial advisor who's competent can help clients achieve their financial goals, things like getting ready for retirement or deciding how they're going to pay for college planning. But a Christian financial advisor with a biblical worldview is really uniquely able to connect with a client and help them to make financial decisions in right relatedness with Mm -hmm. God and with other people. So for an example... A Christian financial advisor is going to encourage clients to listen for and follow the voice of the wonderful counselor himself, the Holy Spirit. And John 16 tells us that the job description of the Holy Spirit is literally to lead us and guide us into all truth. And that's just not something that you're going to find with a Mm. typical financial advisor engagement. Mm. Another great example of that right relatedness concept would come in our investing. A lot of Christian investors would like to invest in a way that aligns with their biblical values and not have profits in their portfolio coming from things like pornography or tobacco or industries that are generally harmful to people. So having a Christian advisor with a Christian worldview is just going to be able to connect with them on that level. And then I would say the third thing, Rob, is that it's just a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of clients that I've met just maybe one or two times, a prospective new client that I've just met for the first time, there's already that spirit of unity and bond of peace. And I can't say that every time a Christian connects with another Christian, there's going to be that magical moment. But I do know that it's happened way too many times for me to ignore or to chalk up as coincidence. Mm. There's just something special about the family of God coming together. And that spirit of unity and bond of peace and the sweetness of that fellowship is really a treasure. Mm, That's so good and convincing as to why we should absolutely look for an advisor who shares our values and can walk with us with God's word at the center. Uh, So then for those folks who are saying, all right, Rachel, what should I look for then in a financial advisor? What counsel would you have? Yeah, of course, you want to find someone with competence. And so that means even if they're a Christian, they still need to have some core competencies and be qualified to give financial advice. 
And unfortunately, Rob, the title of financial advisor can mean many different things. There's a great variety of uh, degree of education and competence that comes with that same title. So finding someone who has some quality professional designations, and then, of course, that certified kingdom advisor designation is going to be the one that really allows us to know for sure that that advisor has been trained in biblical financial principles. The last thing I would say is also just trying to find someone, especially if you're the primary financial decision maker in your household, trying to find an advisor that your spouse can relate to. Because sometimes it takes a a certain candor and a, a certain type of competency from an advisor to get them to be able to connect to our spouses and draw out our spouse's priorities and goals and have those be included in the financial plan. Mm, that was so good. Well, Rachel, I know the time went quick, but thanks for laying out the case for why we should seek out a Christian financial advisor and what we should be looking for when we do so. I hope you'll come back real soon. Thanks, Rob. All right. That was Rachel McDonough, Certified Financial Planner and Certified Kingdom Advisor. If you'd like to find a CKA to connect with, just go to our website, faithfi.com and click Find a CKA. That's faithfi.com and click Find a CKA. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West, your host, taking your calls and questions today on anything financial. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. That's 800-525-7000. You know, as we think about our financial lives, we can often get really stuck in the fact that there are so many decisions and choices to be made. Our financial lives seem complex, and yet we can simplify things. If you think about it, everything you spend money on as a steward of God's resources can be boiled down into really four categories. The money we live on, our lifestyle, the money we give, the money we owe for debt and taxes, and the money we grow. So live, give, owe, and grow. The Bible speaks to all of them, but here's what I've come to experience is that lifestyle category, the money that you live on, is really uh, one of the key areas that's so central to our financial success, and that is we've got to live within our means. It's our biggest area of expense, and it's really the biggest barrier to contentment and ultimately long-term financial security. And so we have to guard against our expenses continuing to rise because here's what I also have experienced over the years, that our level of spending will always rise rise to our level of income unless we protest to the contrary. We've got to say that as God continues to prosper me, I will figure out what enough is, and that margin gives me the ability then to pursue my goals that align with my values as a believer. Perhaps I want to be able to give increasingly, increase my giving over time. I want to be able to save for the future or eradicate debt or help a friend or a family member. Well, our ability to do that comes down to our margin in our financial lives. So guard yourself against your level of spending always rising to your level of income. Define enough for your lifestyle so that you have the ability to pursue those goals and dreams that really are central to who God has created you to be. I hope that's an encouragement to you. All right, we're going to take your phone calls today at 800-525-7000. We've got a few lines open. Charles standing by to receive your call today. We'll get you on the air quickly. Let's begin in Stuart. Florida. Hi, Ken. Go right ahead, sir. 
Ira, thank you for taking the call this afternoon. My question is, during the COVID period of time, as a small business owner, I got behind on credit cards and uh, got so far behind that they actually wrote off the balance. I'd like to settle with a credit card company, and they're giving me two settlement options. One is a discounted, discounted amount, and they will give a settlement report to the credit bureaus, and the other one is a full pay option with a uh, clear, all clear uh, report. I don't know which is yeah. better. I, I want to pay off the debt, but which is the better report to the credit bureau? Yeah. Well, as it relates to your credit report, it would be better for it to be marked paid in full as opposed to settled in full. Uh, Settled in full acknowledges the fact that they were willing to settle it at a discount. Now, obviously, the damage has already been done on the credit report based on the charge off that R9, which is the revolving account, nine status means charge off is, you know, already affecting you. But as that gets older, it's going to have a lesser effect on you over time. I think the key is that you get that balance down to zero. It would be slightly better for it to be paid in full versus settled in full. But the biggest idea here is that it, it gets to zero and that's going to happen in both cases. So I think, uh, you know, if, if they're willing to take a, a lesser amount uh, and you get that in writing ahead of time and then you follow up after confirmation of the payment to ensure that it is, in fact, acknowledged it, that it's at zero and your credit report is updated uh, and reflects that appropriately, then I would certainly be comfortable with that. And I think, you know, it's that's not going to harm you uh, much more than you've already been harmed by going through the charge off process. Um, so I would be comfortable with that. But if you want to do it in the best way, way to improve your credit score the quickest, uh, paying it in full will have a slightly better outcome. Very good. I think that does it. Thank you very much. All right, Ken. Glad you're getting on top of this, and thanks for checking in with us on the program today. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. We'd love to hear from you today so we can take your questions, find out what you're thinking about financially speaking, and help you uh, navigate that. Hey, before we go back to the phones, phone lines are filling up as we speak. Uh, A quick email. These come to us every day at askrob at faithfi.com, and this one comes to us from uh, Ella, and she writes, thank God I refinanced my 30-year fixed mortgage before the interest rates skyrocketed. The balance is about $100,000. What's the best way to pay it off faster? I can't make two payments per month, but I do have some extra that I could use. You probably know a lot of ways. Thanks for your advice in advance. And uh, Ella, I think uh, the idea here is to keep it simple. Uh, I would just take that extra money that you have, assuming you don't have high interest credit card debt, and I'm assuming you don't because you didn't mention that, and assuming you've already fully funded your emergency fund of at least three to six months expenses. If both of those are a yes, then I would say take that extra money, unless there's a short-term goal you're saving for, like a car replacement or a down payment uh, on a house, although you already have a home. Uh, and I would just send that as extra principal reduction. You're going to want to check with your mortgage servicer to find out how they would like you uh, to apply that. Do they want you to send a separate check? Usually you can send it in one and 
and you just notate that it is principal reduction. You're probably going to want to follow up on that just to make sure it is not being put on the back end, but it's being applied directly to the principal. It should be. This is uh, pretty customary. But I think the key is, uh, you know, if you can just do that systematically and send that extra amount, you know, let's say that results in six extra payments a year. Uh, That's going to dramatically reduce uh, the overall payback and the amount of dollars you spend toward interest over the life of the loan. So delighted to hear you're uh, getting ahead on this, Ella, and uh, you'll thank yourself when you get that mortgage paid off. I can promise you that. Uh, To Youngstown, Ohio, Kevin, thanks for your call, sir. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Um, I was interested in the the idea of um, should you should we pay off our house now and um, or um, put uh, a, a large amount in a CD? And uh, and I spoke to uh, my CPA. He said I may I may lose the housing allowance if we paid it off now. And uh, so it's kind of torn between that that question right there. Okay, so you get a housing allowance. Are you uh, on staff at a church? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. And uh, give me a just a quick overview. What is your age, and how uh, how much have you saved toward retirement? Um, uh, sixty, okay. and um, uh, and uh, probably about a, a hundred plus toward retirement. Okay. And are you uh, fun, putting additional money in toward retirement every month out of your current pay? Right. Yes, sir. Okay. And what do you owe on the house? Um, One thirty. Okay, and could you pay it off all the way if with the amount that you're receiving? Yes. Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I think the key here is obviously this housing allowance is a part of your compensation package. So uh, you don't want to lose that. And clearly, if, if they're only going to provide that so long as there's a mortgage on it, um, have you verified that that is, in fact, the case? Right. Yes. Okay. So I think that's up to you. I mean, if you feel like you have a conviction that you need to, if you have the ability to go ahead and pay it off, I would. Um, if Are you planning to work for a good bit longer? Oh, yo, yes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. At least, at least another okay. decade. Okay. So if it were me, I'd probably try to time the payoff of the house with your retirement and let's get that money invested for you since, you know, you've got a good start, but you still got a good ways to go. So I'd take advantage of this next decade while the market's down. Let's get this money invested and working for you and then keep paying all that mortgage, perhaps accelerating it as you're able to and get it paid off by the time you retire. Thanks for calling. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West. We've got some lines open today for your calls and questions on anything financial. We'll help you apply biblical wisdom to the decisions and choices you're making. 800-525-7000. You know, as I interact with callers every day on this program, literally thousands and thousands of them uh, every year, what I've experienced is that really the way to free yourself from the financial fear and guilt that so many people face is to answer two questions. The first is, who owns it? That answer clearly is a resounding, God owns it all. And then the second is, how much is enough? What 
what is enough? What is our financial finish line for lifestyle and accumulation so that we can give not only out of current income systematically, but also sacrificially and really define uh, really that enough point for us so we can continue to accelerate our giving? Because I really believe that's the good life. You know, most teaching on money, including Christian teaching, starts with this idea of providing for ourselves. The problem with that is, even though provision is biblical, it can result in an endless list of needs and wants that we never get beyond. And if giving is the good life, being invited into a grander, greater vision that we were created to live for something bigger than ourselves and that there's contentment and satisfaction and joy in giving that we won't find anywhere else, perhaps we're missing out by getting caught up in a consumptive lifestyle and getting caught in the comparison trap. Think about that today as you consider your finances and see what God might be leading you to do. We have a few lines open, 800-525-7002 or Orland Park. Uh, Tim, thank you for calling. Go right ahead. Uh, yes, hi. Uh, question about Social Security. My wife is 67. She's full, uh, taking uh, a full, her full payment at 1200 a month. I'm 63, currently working. Uh, if I were to wait till my full term, which would be at 66 and 10 months, I'd be getting 3400 so if she were to claim spousal at that point, I believe she'd be getting a nice bump up in uh, from 1200 to 1700 But my question is, um, does she have to wait until I start collecting Social Security before she could claim spousal? Yes, the answer is uh, she does have to wait until you begin taking Social Security benefits before she can file for a spousal benefit. Now, what will often happen is exactly what is going on here. Your wife will take her benefit, in this case, because she's older, and enjoy that. Let your benefit continue to grow as you wait to take it, hopefully close to full retirement age. And then she'll have the choice at that point to take either her spousal benefit, which is up to 50% of your benefit, or continue to take her own benefit based on her own work record. And she'll be able to take whichever benefit is higher. But she won't have the option of, of the spousal benefit until until you start taking your own benefits. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, it does. And then if I were to start taking at 65, say, and, and get 3000 a month, then if she took spousal, it would be 1500 Is that correct? Yeah, up to 50% of yours. And if you take it prior to full retirement age, you're going to reduce that permanent benefit amount uh, you know, by about 8% a year that you take it early. Got it. Okay, very good. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. All right, Tim. Thanks for calling, sir. Uh, To Illinois. Hi, Mary. Thanks for being on the program. Go ahead. Good afternoon. Um, My voice is a little gravelly, so pardon me. I'm just wondering when you look at Scripture. You think so? Thank you. When you look at Scripture, I'm a little bit concerned. Like I just heard the gentleman say, seek, well, something, but you know what Jesus says? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this other stuff will be provided. And then also, as I read Scripture, what about the Macedonia church that gave out of their lack? You know, I mean, they didn't have anything, but they gave anyway. And I'm thinking, are we putting too too much on our security, our future security? I'm just wondering about that. 
Well, it's a great question, uh, Mary, and I'm glad you raised it because we need to keep coming back to this. Uh, you know, we can get, well, here, here's the reality in my experience. We can attempt to redeem greed in the name of the American dream if we're not careful. Uh, the pastor and author Tim Keller wrote a book uh, some time ago called Counterfeit Gods, and he makes the point in there that, you know, as a pastor, he's had just about every sin confessed in his office, save one, and that's the the sin of greed. Uh, he says that he doesn't have people coming to him saying, I think I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and the people around me. And the challenge is that if we get caught up in that, we can miss God's best for us, which I believe is holding what he's given us loosely so we can give it generously. And, you know, we can find ourselves in the comparison trap where we're comparing ourselves to others and trying to keep up with the Joneses. But I think there's something healthy about living in the tension. And here's what I mean by that. It's very biblical for us to save for the future. Proverbs tells us that there's precious treasure and oil in the house of the wise. The foolish man swallows it up. So I think God gives us more than we need today, and if he does, he's given us a surplus, we should save for the future. The question is, how much is enough? And I think we have to each ask that question before the Lord honestly in prayer to say, God, what is right for me in terms of my lifestyle, but also my accumulation? And what might I be missing today that you want me to do with your money to help somebody in need in my local church, on my path, in my community? in my neighborhood, or a ministry, you know, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth uh, halfway across the globe, what might I be missing today that I should be focused on because I'm living a consumptive lifestyle? And we've got to wrestle through that. And here's the reality, at least this has been my experience, is that the process of working through that is one of the ways that God grows us up spiritually, because as we live in that tension, I think he can teach us a lot in the process. Uh, Give me your thoughts, though. Well, I don't know. I think, I I just think, I'm sorry, I was born and raised Catholic, and I I don't mean to bring that in, but I hear, um, oh, I heard, oh, I can't remember, but they were talking about Let's do this. I I hate to interrupt you. I've got to take a quick break. If you don't mind holding the line, I'd love to hear what you have to say and get your reaction to that. We're talking to Mary in Illinois. This is Faith and Finance Live, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. We're taking your calls and questions with a few lines open, 800-525-7000. Hey, we're uh, going to be tackling some great questions coming up here in just a few minutes. How do you retire and what's the right amount to live on? What about an online savings account and even the pros and cons of a biweekly mortgage payment? We'll talk about that in a moment. But right now we're talking to Mary in Illinois. Just before the break, she was really talking about the passage we read in 2 Corinthians 8 when uh, the account of Paul as he was encountering the Macedonians and out of their incredible gratitude to the believers in Jerusalem – 
who had brought the gospel to them. They were eager to help, and so they gave as they were able, but then they went beyond that and gave more than they were able, uh, and we see this incredible demonstration of giving out of their poverty, and we see God really multiplying their gifts, and just some incredible things happening, and you're pointing us back to that passage, Mary, and saying perhaps we don't talk about that aspect of our financial management enough. Pick it up where you left off. Uh, what were you going to share with us? Well, I don't know if this is relevant, but, and maybe it's not, but I was listening to Janet Parshall day before yesterday, and they were talking about abortion and all, or one program, I can't remember. But anyway, um, I remember them saying something about the church, and is the Protestant church, pardon me, the only church? I mean, are they the church? Or what about Catholics? I heard a program, and this is not completely relevant, but it's been bothering me. I heard a program a long time ago. You had a woman on, on WMBI who was a commentator. Anyway, her comment was, are Catholic brothers and sisters? And I thought, well, I mean, to me, that, that said a lot. It's almost as if there's a division to me in my mind between the Protestant Church and the mm. Catholic Church on yeah. some of these issues. And I'm thinking it shouldn't be that we're all the church. And that bothers me. So I guess I just I'm having a difficult time with some of that. But um, yeah. like I said, well, I think the the key here is, and you bring up a great point, is first and foremost, it's about placing our trust in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for our sin on the cross, and uh, through Him we've been reconciled to the Father. Uh, when we place our trust in Him for the forgiveness of sins, and now we're adopted into His family, and at that point, it's about stewardship. It's about what are we doing with what we've been given, because it all belongs to the Lord. And I think clearly, you make a great point that we need to look at not just individual verses in the Bible, but we need to look at the big themes and what was on the heart of God. And clearly in the New Testament, we see that Jesus raises the bar. Uh, You know, it's no longer about the Mosaic law. It's about uh, taking our giving, along with everything else, to a higher level, whole life generosity. He gave his life as a sacrifice for us. Um, So when we talk about money, we should give as we've been blessed. And with that, uh, it shows a demonstration of our trust in God, that his provision is more complete than our own. Uh, It stores up treasures in heaven, the Bible tells us. It changes us. It's a way of molding us and shaping us to be more like Christ, which is our goal, even though uh, in our sinful state, we'll never achieve that until, um, you know, we're in glory. But uh, we should take a portion of what he's entrusted to us, even sacrificially, and give it back. So I appreciate you challenging us with that thought today. And uh, Perhaps uh, a good takeaway would be to reread that uh, passage in 2 Corinthians 8 about the Macedonian church. Thank you for your call, Mary. God bless you. Ohio, Lisa, thanks for your patience. Go ahead. Yes, hi, Rob. Um, appreciate uh, your show. Love it. And thanks for taking Thank my call. Absolutely. Um, I just had a question. I had read an article where a biweekly uh, payment on your house payment was just as effective as doing a single one time a year payment. And my husband and I have just recently refinanced and we did find that our lender will allow us to do that. So I just, I've never heard that discussed on your show and I didn't know if you had any pros and cons for that particular action. Yeah. Well, the key is when that payment goes in, I mean, if you look at, let's say, 
take 2023, for example, this calendar year, if you were able to send one full extra monthly payment uh, because you had surplus and sitting in a savings account that you didn't need at the beginning of the year, you're going to come out better in the end just because with amortized interest, now you're no longer paying interest on that principal balance for the rest of the loan because you've paid it off. And so you've reduced the principal balance and therefore you're no longer going to pay interest on that portion that you've paid off. The quicker you can do that, the less interest you will pay. Now, if you're unable to do that, the idea behind the biweekly mortgage payment is you send half of a payment every two weeks. Uh, When you do that, there's 26 two-week periods, which means you end up with 13 full payments over 12 months. And that's one more than you would typically pay when you're just paying monthly because, of course, you'd have 12. And so over the year, you would end up with one extra payment, but you would not be as, as uh, you know, you'd not come out as well because it took you a year to do it versus paying it on the first day. So I think the takeaway is whatever system works for you is the system that's the best because you're going to be able to do it. But all things being equal, if you had the ability to make the payment on the first day of the year, you'd be better served than waiting to do a bi-weekly over 12 months. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Very well, good. Thank you so much. Uh, you're welcome. But let me just come back to this point, Lisa, is I love this idea of trying to send an extra payment a year. A lot of people don't have an extra full payment just kind of sitting there unless they pull it out of their emergency fund, and I wouldn't do that. So if doing the biweekly payment, a half a payment every two weeks, is going to allow you to actually get it done, then go for it, because that's probably going to cut you know five years or more off a 30-year mortgage sending one extra payment a year. Thanks for your call today. Uh, to Princeton, Illinois, Don, you're next on the program. Go ahead. Hi, Rob. Just had a question. Uh, considering putting some savings, some surplus savings, into either an online bank like Ally, where you can get maybe three or more percent interest, uh, versus a CD where the interest rates are not as great and it locks it up for a while and you can't get at it. Uh, don't don't need that money. It's not part of our emergency savings or anything like that. I just wanted your opinion on on the use of an online bank to try to gain a little extra interest. Yeah, I like the online bank. What is the time horizon on this money? What is it earmarked for? Oh, it's it's really just savings that is uh, probably going to end up helping us in retirement. I'm 61 right now, not going to retire for five years or so. Uh, so it's really just going to be able to sit there for a while. Yeah. What about getting it into a Roth IRA and investing it? Uh, well, that's a possibility if that's a, a better way to do it. With the stock market lately, I was trying to go with something that might be more secure and uh, sort of as a a base for everything else. Sure. And I can certainly appreciate that. I mean, you'd want as a part of your overall asset mix uh, when you hit retirement, you know, part of that from stocks, bonds, and cash, the cash portion, you'd probably want when you're in retirement, six to 12 months liquid. Um, And if this was a part of that, then you wouldn't want to lock it up. I'd use the CD, or excuse me, the savings account. If you had, let's say, a a one to five-year time horizon on it, that's where a CD could work. Although I'd probably stay 18 months or less and look at maybe a 
four and a half percent interest rate on that CD. But if it is money that has a 10 year time horizon, certainly more than five, uh, I'd probably look at putting this in an IRA, a Roth, and letting it grow over the next decade. Here's the thing we always love to buy things that are on sale. Except when it comes to the stock market for some reason. And I'm not picking on you. I'm talking to myself as well. You know, the, you'd be dollar cost averaging into the market while things are down. And even though it could go down a little further, depending on what happens with the recession this year, if you look out 10 years, I think you're in pretty good shape and you could get some long term appreciation on this, have a little bit more in retirement and offset inflation. But I think either one would be a great option for you. Thanks for calling, Don, and we'll be right back. Hey, thanks for joining us today on Faith and Finance Live. Check out our brand new website at faithfi.com. That's faithfi.com. You can check out the FaithFi app while you're there. Jump into our community and post a question or a comment or jump into our learn section with all of our content, articles, podcasts, and videos. The very best in Christian finance for you to grow in your stewardship journey. It's all on our website, faithfi.com. Hey, before we head back to the phones, have you ever wanted to visit Israel? I know I have. Uh, Julie and I plan to go hopefully sometime in the next few years, but perhaps you haven't, and maybe it's just because the investment is a bit too much. Well, what if you could go and it cost you next to nothing? I've got an opportunity for you. Moody is uh, taking a trip with Dr. Michael Redelnik and Dr. Joseph Stoll, uh, former uh, president of uh, the Moody Bible Institute, and uh, they're going to head over to Israel June 4th through the 15th. Now, this trip is full. It's completely sold out. However, Moody Radio is going to sneak two more people in, and perhaps those two people could be you and a loved one. So I would love for you to register to be able to go on this trip. You can do that at moodyradio.org slash Israel. Again, moodyradio.org slash Israel. And do me a favor. If you're picked, if you're picked, you got to let me know. Okay. Cause I want to know that it was a uh, faith and finance live listener. All right, let's head back to the phones. Tuscaloosa, Alabama, home of the Crimson Tide. Hey, Joe, thanks for calling. Go ahead. Thank you. I appreciate your ministry, and you are a blessing. My question has to do with uh, retirement. My husband and I, are he's entering 65, I'm almost 60, and we plan to retire this year. We do believe in that three-legged stool savings. We do have a guaranteed retirement benefit through our employment. Okay. Uh, And then um, he will start his Social Security and of course, I will. You know, when I'm eligible, I think my right. question related to the ministry and wanting to give back more, even sacrificially, is yeah. really more along the saving side of yes. how much is enough. And yes. something to keep in mind: my husband and I cannot get uh, life insurance due to our health issues, nor can okay. we get, um, you know, long-term um, ret- care and- uh, facility care, long-term care insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good, Joe. Well, man, y'all are doing so much right here. I mean, you're out of debt. You've got uh, Social Security. You've got your savings. You've got uh, your retirement benefit that's going to be coming your way. Uh, you're wanting to increase your giving uh, and and make sure that uh, you're doing what the Lord uh, has for you in that area and just trying to find God's heart in all of that, to honor him as a steward of his resources and yet be wise. Uh, 
in your journey as a steward, I think is a place that is really healthy because God can work on your heart. And, you know, when we give sacrificially, even in this season of life, it can, you know, when we stretch to give a little bit more, it can, you know, grow us spiritually. And then all of a sudden we're depending on God. And there's just a beautiful part of being invited into his story through our sacrificial giving. But uh, I think that's a good tension. And I think it's a good exercise to go through to say how much is enough and being able to, uh, you know, work into a way of calculating that makes a lot of sense. Um, so a couple of thoughts. I mean, the first step would be, you know, whatever the Lord leads you to do, I would follow him. Uh, that's number one, regardless of what rules of thumb say or, you know, benchmarks say with regard to how much you need saved for retirement. Number two is I think you guys could probably benefit from sitting with a godly financial planner, somebody who understands the heart of God and the idea of a financial finish line, but could also bring a more academic approach to helping you calculate that while also kind of reflecting your desire to do some sacrificial giving at the same time. And a certified kingdom advisor could, I think, do all of that and blend that together into some planning. And you could find a CKA on our website at faithfi.com there in in Alabama. Uh, I think beyond that, I would look at what your expenses you expect them to be. Um, so go ahead and, and calculate your retirement budget, keeping in mind most retirees live on somewhere between 70 and 80 percent of their pre-retirement income because they don't need life insurance anymore and they're no longer saving for retirement and they're driving less and they don't need the work, you know, clothing budget that they had. Maybe they're not eating out as much as they were when they were, you know, working, those kinds of things. Maybe the kids are off the payroll and they're out of debt. So, you know, all these things just bring our lifestyle spending down. Well, once you know what that number is, at least to the best that you can calculate it, then you can compare that against your known income sources, Social Security, for you and your husband once you start collecting it, uh, you know, whatever guaranteed uh, retirement income you're going to have. And then you can back into what is the gap, if any, exists. And then what assets would you need to be able to throw off that kind of income at a 4% withdrawal rate? I mean, that would be a typical way to look at how much we need for retirement and determine, you know, are we ahead on track or behind? But then over all of that is this overarching idea of, God, are you calling me to do something more radical than that? And, you know, I I remember a story of uh, Bill Bright, uh, the late Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew. And you know, he and Vonette were compelled to give a whole retirement account away to build a school to teach, uh, you know, uh, English and to share Christ uh, in Russia. And, you know, that probably didn't make sense on paper. And yet God led Bill and Vonette to do that. And I don't think they would have looked back for a second in that process. But that doesn't mean he's leading you to do that. And so I think you've got to be on your knees asking the Lord kind of where you go from here. But I've thrown a lot at you there. Give me your thoughts. I love the idea that you just mentioned, and we really do want to be able to give more to the kingdom. But it is scary to let that go when you don't know what yeah. that future looks like. I have calculated sure. everything out, you know, you know, after taxes, what our net will be, um, you know, in, in the next year and two years down the road. And I've, you know, calculated expenses. It looks good on paper. I think it's just that of savings. You know, when is it enough, and when can we yeah. let go? And yeah, that, yeah. I think you're right. At the end of the day, it's what God's telling you to do. 
That's right, and realize that your financial journey is one of the ways that God shapes your spiritual journey. And, you know, you stretching yourself or you and your husband as a couple stretching yourselves to do more than you thought you could do, I think is one of the ways that God just increases our faith and trust in Him. Having an advisor to journey along with you would be great. I think there'd be a, there's a ministry that I think would be a real blessing to you guys in this season as well. Uh, if you've never heard of it, it's called Generous Giving. You'll find it at generousgiving.org. They do some something that uh, perhaps you could find where the next one's going to be maybe close to you. It's called a a journey of generosity. It's a 24-hour small group experience that really is just all about understanding the heart of God as it relates to our giving. But the key is you're surrounded by a community, a small community of people and connecting, you know, even beyond that to a larger community of people who are just wrestling with these same things. Because you and your husband, Joe, will never give to your maximum potential unless you have a plan to do it, unless you have relationships of people who are spurring you on, active givers with active vision, and you'll never be able to do it without a vision for your giving that's bigger than you all, where you look at the heart of God and what's on His heart through the Scriptures, and you align that with your passions, and you really begin to think about not the dollars and cents, but the where and the why of the giving and the the life change and the kingdom impact that's being made. And I think as you lean into that side of it, uh, the plan and the relationships and the vision, I think God will do something really special in your lives. Um, I'd like to send you a book that perhaps perhaps could encourage you in all of this. Uh, So you stay on the line. We'll get your information, and uh, I'll send it to you, and maybe you and your husband can work through it together. But I hope this has been an encouragement to you, perhaps left you with something to think about, and we appreciate your call today. God bless you guys. Uh, To Florida, hi, Candice. How can I help you? Hi. I wanted to know if what your thoughts were. So my husband and I currently own, and we have about 13 years left on our mortgage. It's a three-bedroom my parents could potentially be moving with us, so we wanted to know if it made sense to add an additional room, like renovate, or try to um, purchase somewhere else. That was a little bigger. But our mortgage is like $1,500 now, but we didn't want to go yeah. significantly more than that. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you owe on the property right now? What do we owe? About 140 Okay. What do you think it's worth today? Uh, when we did Zillow, it was like 350 Okay. And what is the rate on that mortgage? 4.2. Yeah. Okay. So obviously that would go up. You'd probably want to do a second mortgage. Good news is you have quite a bit of equity. Question is at this higher rate, when you borrow against it, uh, you know, would you be able to afford what it would cost to actually do the addition? Have you gone through the exercise of getting a, an estimate from a contractor to, you know, that that's really thought well thought out in terms of what it would actually cost you to do this? No, if we want to do like all the renovations we want, we're probably estimating about like 80000 Okay. Yeah, I think the key is to make sure that that's a good number because, you know, a lot of times we go into it thinking, yeah, we know what this uh, is going to cost, and then it ends up being a whole lot more. Good news is a lot of the supply chain constraints that really, you know, pushed a lot of raw materials up, a lot of that's coming down. So this is a possibility. The challenge with the new house is at that higher rate, uh, if you buy something a little bigger and the the whole mortgage is now at a higher rate, it's going to make the affordability lower. So I 
I think the key is perhaps just to step through this logically. Step one is how much do we like our house and do we really want to stay? Do we like the location? Do we like the home? Would we be pricing this home out of the market, meaning versus the rest of the homes in your neighborhood if it has this $80,000 addition? You know, would, would you be able to recoup that upon the sale? A realtor could help you think about that. That's step number one. Step number two is the affordability. So I'd actually go through the process of getting that contractor in there to determine what this is really going to cost, not just somebody's back of the envelope, but what would it really cost with the plans and the design and really all the construction and find out what it's really going to cost you and then determine whether you can afford that. And then look for comparable homes that you could all live in if you were to move and then see what that mortgage would look like at the current interest rates. And I think when you get all the data and you think about it from kind of your, uh, you know, from the perspective of, is this where we want to be? I think the answer will become clear to you. Thanks for calling today. I hope that's helpful to you, Candice. God bless you. Well, Faith and Finance Live is a partnership between Moody Radio and FaithFi. Thanks for being along with us today. So thankful for Tahira, Jim, Amy, and Charles. Couldn't do it without them. Thank you for being here as well. Come back and join us tomorrow. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.